You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel, our look at what's going on in the Australian film industry or moving industry, uh, image industry in uh, on your Community Radio 3CR. And today we're going to focus on the fabulous David Bradbury because uh, David has been given the David Hatzelt Individual Lifetime Wall Abolisher of 2023 award. It's an international award and it comes from the worldbeyondwar.org. It's a global movement to end all wars and you can't say that that isn't the best kind of award you could get in the world. And of course David is a um, a filmmaker, documentary filmmaker who has uh, devoted 50 years of his life making the most extraordinary uh, films, very grassroots as well as uh, sophisticated in construction. Uh, I talked to him about some of the films that he's made and uh, what's motivated him and about the award. Films uh, of his, Frontline, uh, was his first film. It was uh, focused on the uh, Australian war correspondent Neil Davis. Uh, he goes on to make films that uh, include uh, looks at William Burchett, uh, Nick, uh, Nicoan, Nicaragua non pasaran, uh, about uh, what was going on in uh, Nicaragua in the 80s. He followed up with a uh, expose of Chile. Uh, most recently, he's uh, talked. He's done films "War on Trial" and "The Road to War." So he has indeed been an individual lifetime a war abolisher. So here's some of the chat I had with David Bradbury. Congratulations on receiving the David Hustle Individual Lifetime War Abolisher of 2023, David Bradbury. You must be chuffed. Yeah, I think it's really a nice honour to to get that after 45 years of making uh, anti-war statements from the days when I first made Frontline about Neil Davis and his coverage of the Vietnam War for uh, 11 years and uh, up to the present with a film that I just recently released called The Road to War, which is about uh, a looming war, I fear, between China and, and, and Australia 
and United States. So, um, yeah, I'm just um, really, really chuffed to be able to get this award and acknowledgement of it. At the same time, Annie, I also acknowledge that there are the thousands of other, tens of thousands of peace activists around the world that uh, could equally be up for it there in terms of having devoted their lives to uh, the cause of war and peace on the planet. And many of them uh, face uh, jail or torture or uh, uh, even murder uh, to step out the door from their homes in the third, so-called third world each day, whether it be in South America or Africa or, or Asia, to um, work on behalf of peace and uh, and uh, and the, the things that make planet go around. I was looking at. Uh your video uh, acceptance speech and uh, you uh, pieced together some pretty compelling pieces of footage from your various films. And I was noticing that um, in Frontline, for example, you give us some very up-close interviews on the Frontline, uh, you know, uh, and you intersperse key public source footage that show the connection between what's happening on the front line and the political voices that are putting people there. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, how you see making these films and uh, how you uh, piece them together, you know, a narrative? Well, Frontline was my first film, as you probably know, and uh, I stumbled into a great... Um, character in Neil Davis who basically took me by the hand as a 27-year-old wannabe filmmaker. I'd had a couple of years' experience working in radio journalism at the ABC and and other uh, Sydney radio stations and, uh, and a bit of newspaper journalism at university uh, during the political era that I was basically found my political voice through student activism of the early 70s or late 60s and signed the Vietnam War and and, um, and First People's determination in setting up the uh, the tent embassy in Canberra. I was arrested when they broke up the tent embassy by the federal police and uh, and uh, it woke me up to the fact that um, uh, you know we didn't have as uh, bold and as um, uh, good a democracy as we claimed to have with um, cops moving in on us to um, break up that embassy and what they did in our anti-apartheid demos as well. So after a brief stint at the ABC, I I got a scholarship to the States to study broadcast journalism. And uh, and then I watched as America went into denial and disbelief that they were going to lose the Vietnam War. The year I went to the States was 74, 75. And I watched... um, rather sort of um, um, excitedly every night, the coverage of, uh, of the Americans losing that very first, the first war of the 20th century, which they couldn't quite handle. And that despite all the power and the technology of their, of their war machine, which we still see in operation today in different parts of the world, in Afghanistan and uh, Iraq, etc., all defeated by, by people's... Um, uh, armies on the ground and so on. America and Australia don't seem to have learnt those lessons. But um, I, yeah, back to uh, how I first made my first film, Frontline, I just sat down with um, 
in Neil Davis's borrowed camera and his borrowed cameraman in Bangkok in Thailand where he was based working for the American um, news outfit NBC. And I interviewed him about um, his um, memories and uh, and his um, insights about covering the Vietnam War for 11 years. And, uh, and then I went to the States and I went to the UK and I got all the footage that I could... There were dozens and dozens of hours that uh, Neil had covered. Uh, it was in the archives there in London for Viz News and then in the public archives of the Department of Defence in the States. And I cobbled together with the help of um, a great editor in Stuart Young and the help of another um, filmmaker called um, uh, Bob Connolly to uh, put that together that first film. That then segued onto my second film, which was, again, an anti-war film in uh, the discovery of Wilfred Burchard, a second amazing Australian journalist that I came upon in doing my research and uh, the making of Frontline. But whereas Neil was a celebrated hero of the fourth estate uh, because he went with the popular side, he went with the Americans and, uh, and, the, and the losing side in the Vietnam War... Wilfred Burchett was seen by his colleagues in Australia and overseas as a traitor because he he did what all good journalists are supposed to do. He shared the other side of the story as well, which is what the uh, the Vietnam War was from the Viet Cong, from the people of North Vietnam and South Vietnam that, that, that supported the independence of their country, first against the French and then against the um, Americans um, and the Australian invading forces. He showed the other side, and uh, that led to a lot of hostility and calls for him to be hung when he returned back to Australia and everything because he dared to say that this was not a, a war of popularity on the part of the people who, who were fighting against the Australians and the Vietnamese. And, and Wilfred had the street cred because he'd covered the Second World War from the American side, and then when he landed with General MacArthur's forces, two weeks after the dropping of the two bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, he uh, he snuck away from the embedded journalists um, that were there to sort of do a propaganda exercise for the Americans and General MacArthur. He snuck off to see what that new bomb that was all about that we've had the recent film out of Hollywood, Oppenheimer, celebrating uh, the confusion, the morality of Oppenheimer. But Wilford, to me, is a real hero because he... Um, he, he braved instant death and being executed by the Japanese in catching a civilian train on the very day the surrender ceremony was being signed in Tokyo Bay and General MacArthur strategy stuff, who incidentally uh, then went on to be a wartime general in the Korean War, which is uh, you know, the first war of the Cold War era, and he wanted to drop 53 atom bombs on China and North Korea. Fortunately, he was uh, stopped in doing that. But uh, that kind of gives you an idea of the way that America saw uh, after the success of the Second World War, in which, incidentally, the, the uh, Soviet Union took the brunt of it there in fighting against the Nazis. But the war and the history of war is written by the victors, and in that case, as in every other wartime escapade since the Second World War. It was the Yanks that, uh, that uh, wrote the history of it and controlled it through the, the media that um, they allowed to sort of give their side of the story.
So, yeah. Well, I mean, if you if you look at the uh, Wilford Birchard story, him going and seeing and witnessing what actually happened in Hiroshima, uh, and as he said, he sat down and wrote on his little typewriter, I write this as a warning to the world. And your films are like that as well. You, you have learned to uh, place... Uh, personalities within the construction of the war event, haven't you? Yeah. And I think, um, Annie, it's really pertinent and important as uh, the United States rattles the sabres and gets Australia to rattle the sabres uh, with, with uh, just arming ourselves to the teeth with buying nuclear-propelled subs and, and giving billions of dollars taxpayer money that should be going to homelessness and to um, public education, public health and to much more ambitious targets to meet our our protocols of um, the planet melting down, which we see happening on our nightly news and so on. Instead, it's going into making, buying missiles, Richard Miles and Christopher Pine, his opposition member when Christopher Pine was in Parliament, He's now started up the Australian Missile Company with his uh, former chief of staff from um, Parliament, and they're set to make literally billions of dollars by um, by the Australian taxpayer funding their their missile company to be able to have rockets that will go a thousand kilometres in distance, and that only that is disastrous in terms of our relations with our our northern neighbours, they need seawalls being built around their island state. They need you know, sort of um, um, an, an ADF, Australian Defence Force, that's, that's trained to be able to help them at times of typhoons and tsunamis, earthquakes, volcano eruptions and so on, which we're going to see more and more of as the climate crisis kicks in and the denial by successive Australian and world governments to tackle this um, this enemy from within. That's what we need a defence force to do. We need a defence force trained about to defend genuinely Australia and homes are going to be burnt this summer and next summer and floods are going to kick in as we've seen in the last 18 months and so on. We, we need a defence force that genuinely defends Australia from within and builds up good relations with our neighbours by being able to go in at times of crisis with them, with climate crisis, and to spread the um, the word that Australia is a is a is a peaceful nation and a, a neighbour that sort of looks after its its, its fellow neighbours in the South Pacific and uh, and Southeast Asia and even beyond, and not an army that's uh, and a navy and air force that's um, arming itself to the teeth to take on China, which ironically is our biggest trading partner and and the reason why we've had such a materialistically uh, good lifestyle for the last 20 or 30 years since um, we um, we uh, embarked upon doing that. We need to be working with China. We need to be working with our northern neighbours and the United States to see what we can do to ameliorate the crisis that we've brought upon ourselves in denying um, that we, the, um, we're putting too much carbon into the atmosphere. Well, your latest film, your response to this was The Road to War. And uh, one of the things that's most compelling about your films, I think, is that you actually put it straight out there on for people to see just how wicked these um, uh, armaments really are, That what it really means 
to be using this kind of uh, uh, warfare machine against people and countries. Yes, and, and, and as I just said before, Annie, I mean, it's so, so cynical is not the word. Um, disgusting is starting to approach it there, but um, immoral is another word. To be taking Australian taxes that, you know, working class people and middle class people and, and tradies and nurses and teachers and doctors and all the all the people in Australia that that contribute to the um, taxes and pay the the wages of our our um, politicians in Canberra and Victoria and and in the um, uh, the bureaucrats as well to take that money and to put it into into building up you know sort of a, a profit. Um, uh, margin for companies like Lockheed Martin, Boeing and uh, all these other US and UK based uh, armaments industries um, that um, basically export war machine and, and very very um, mass weapons of mass destruction uh, that really um, are just in a denial of life and uh, and the life force that um, makes this, this planet so wonderful and to um, know that at this point 2023 we're looking at, at a point where we could yet again blow ourselves up uh, uh, on the planet and once that uh, another you know, a nuclear war takes place that there will be there will be all gloves off it won't be like the Ukraine where the threat is being made once you press the button one country or another presses those buttons it, it, that's it it's over for the world that we know it as it is now, and uh, and that would be a, a tragedy beyond belief. Hi, I'm David Bradbury, activist filmmaker, and proud of it. And any time I'm in Melbourne, I love to do an interview with 3CR and uh, bring you folk up to speed with what I'm doing in different parts of the globe or in, in my own, own turf in Australia. It's really important that we have community radio and that you support it and you get out behind 3CR and the events that they promote and to keep you informed against the uh, mainstream media that wants us to keep our eyes shut and to go back to bed. <laughs> uh, that's David Bradbury and we're uh, going to continue with the conversation because uh, David has uh, recently been awarded the uh, David Hutzel Individual Lifetime War Abolisher of 2023 award. It's uh, awarded by the worldbeyondwar.org, a global movement to take us into a better future. Oh, wouldn't that be so good and fine? Um, this is the last part of the conversation. I was uh, listening and watching your film and then I went and listened to some David Robick's because uh, you use footage from um, while he's singing, you use some footage from the collateral murder um, video and Julian Assange's role as a journalist in bringing uh, to people's attention what is actually happening in their name. I mean, it, it makes brings tears to your eyes, really. And I find that uh, you're an indefatigable fighter and uh, congratulations for this award. But it, it, it says to me um, that it's impossible to stop this fight, really, isn't it? Uh, well, yes, one has to um, not let, rest on one's laurels, but um, uh, uh, keep on going. I'm uh, 72 years of age and there are times... When I wake up, I think, oh, no, I've got to go down to the editing room at 6 a.m. and I've got this deadline to uh, get this little video clip out or this film to take to 
Canberra and uh, and or, or show in that you know in, in Melbourne or whatever like that. And uh, I I do feel a bit exhausted with it at times, Danny. But uh, at the same time, I know that um, you know it's better to light one candle and to keep on going until my dying breath, because um this it's a wonderful world and there's a lot of really good people, a lot of good species that depend upon our decision-making in the corridors of power for their literal survival. And so it's my responsibility to uh, to, to do that. And, and I'm, I'm really sort of supported in my knowledge with all the wonderful people that I've met around the planet in the last 45 years of making films that and within Australia, the peace movement here, that um, keeps me going, and to know that I can just do my bit, and uh, and and the, the seeds that are sown, I don't know where they're going to sprout up and uh, and and bloom, but I know that I've, I've got to do that, and I do see um, from my over my looking back at my career, people that went over to Nicaragua to pick coffee to support the Sandinista People's Revolution there, or people that sort of um, talked their kids out of joining the army or whatever like that because um, they could see that it was um, going to be uh, not a good thing for them to go into. They keep me going. So, uh, yeah. Well, you know... Thanks for having me on the program, Annie. Mm. Yeah, and thank you very much for talking. People like you that People like you that I, I feel so frustrated at times that the, uh, the so-called fourth estate, the Australian straight media, uh, including the ABC and SBS, uh, with some wonderful exceptions within ABC Radio, they don't really sort of um, support my sort of form of filmmaking and my activism. They've got this sort of pseudo concept of objectivity that um, you know, Bradbury's too radical, that he's out there sort of. Um, frothing at the mouth and so on with his films and uh, I don't get a, a Guernsey at all uh, in in the straight media and that and they're the ones who got the responsibility because they're speaking to literally millions of Australians that don't understand the subtleties of, of real politics and uh, and power plays between uh, you know, Big Brother America and, uh, and Mother England and so on and uh, they just uh, believe what they're fed by the um, by the straight media. So I'm really grateful to uh, outfits like 3CR and uh, community radio stations and alternative journalists on social media that that do sort of support my form of filmmaking and and get the word out against the grain. Do you have a new project on the burner? Um, yeah, I'm just. Um, wanting to make a film that looks and I've started making a film as a week ago I was down in Canberra with a, a, a former Vietnam vet or is it still a Vietnam vet but he was a former captain in the Australian army who got blown up in Vietnam and um, he's a really brilliant um, uh, researcher and, and uh, military historian so we're working together his name's Greg Lockhart and we're working together on looking at the uh, the genesis of uh of the Anzac legend that led us into war after war since um, the First World War and the Boer War and and even you know the sort of you know, like Korea, Vietnam and so on. I think the only war that you could sort of say has been inverted commas a morally justifiable war 
is the Second World War, Annie. And so um, we're looking at why Australia feels the need to line up every time for the, the case of the Boer War and the First World War, Korea, Vietnam, Afghanistan and Iraq, why it feels this urgent need to have a powerful and, and strong big brother, Mother England, in the case up until the Second World War, and then America took over the role. And Greg has come up with this thesis that um, it's because we feared that we're in the same way that we took the land or the redcoats or the invading British forces at the time of 1770 and 1788 with um, the settlement in New South Wales and so on, rippling out into Victoria, that we basically took the, this country by force. And so we're in deep within our psyche over the last 240 years since we've been here as white fellas and that there's this, this fear that Asia is going to come down in this gravity sort of, you know, we're at the bottom of the world, so although it could be on the top of the world if you see us in the, in the universe and so on. We're spinning around and we have this belief that we're going to be basically be one day what we did to the to first peoples is going to happen to us, and that's why we need to have a, a strong ally in the case of Mother England up the Second World War, and when that failed, when Singapore fell within a matter of you know, a few days from the Japanese invading and, and coming down towards Australia, we now feel we need Brother America to, to defend us from the Chinese, even though China has said. They've got no intentions. They just want Australia to be a resource basket for us there and to provide them with their iron ore and our coal and uranium and so on and, uh, and guarantee this food supply from um, the, the, the land they've brought up here. But China doesn't own as much of, of Australia as what North American investors and British and Dutch and South African investors own. So that's the sort of terrain that we're going to be looking at about why we have a sort of deeply felt racism. It's based upon racism, of course, you know, the yellow peril and white Australia policy, which we no longer officially embrace because we've got multiculturalism where 40 or 50% of our of our population was born outside Australia now yeah. and their descendants. But, um, yeah, it's, I think it's just enough of, of what the terrain is that I'm going to be looking at in that film with, with Greg and... Uh, Hopefully, in the light of whether the, the yes or the no vote gets up, it will allow us to go to, to a deeper terrain because, you know, while I'm going to vote yes for the uh, the referendum, I believe that it's still tokenistic on the part of um, a, a white, entrenched, male-dominated um, uh, parliamentary culture in Canberra because they're not sitting down with the, with the, the blackfellas in Catherine or in Rockhampton and saying to first people, are you okay about us bringing in nuclear bombers from Guam and so on with the, with the Americans? They're foisting it upon Aboriginal people. So yes, that will be a nice um, feel-good message in Parliament, but basically until we really sort of get a treaty in place with, with Aboriginal first peoples nations and uh, and and, and we give them the right to be able to say what happens on their country rather than just sort of uh, giving them royalties and, and, and so on and, and telling them what we're going to do as the majority you know, Anglo-Saxon race, we won't really have a, 
quality in this country at the point where we can sort of have a nation that we can be proud of and look back on learning our lessons from our history and moving forward to a, a bright future. Yeah, and on that note, thank you very much for talking to me. Thanks very much, Annie, for having me on your program and to your listeners as well. And that was David Bradbury, the uh, winner of the David Hartzell Individual Lifetime Ward Abolisher of 2023 Award. Great man. Coming up next is Asia, oh no, published or not, and we'll go out with our um, song by David Robix, Song for Bradley Manning. For eight months, Bradley Manning has been awaiting trial in a cell at Quantico Military Base here in Virginia. It's a focal point for protesters angry at his treatment by the military authorities. They see Manning as a hero who exposed wrong, a political prisoner. Private Manning was an analyst. If what they say is true, he was paid to read reports, find the patterns sifting through. As he read the data, the patterns did emerge. Patterns that were clear both before and since the surge. Patterns of abuse of the most horrific kind. Gunning down civilians out of view and out of mind. Gunning down the opposition in the middle of the night. Sending off the scholars to be tortured out of sight. Sometimes you need desperate measures when you live in desperate times. Private Manning's all he was looking at war crimes. He wondered what to do to allow the dead to speak. He finally decided to contact WikiLeaks. Now it's all out on the table and everybody knows. The emperor is naked, he's not wearing any Of their game, the game of taking lives and endangering. 
the corporate elite But now their cover's blown from their head down to their feet And now the Stars and Stripes is looking much more like a rag The lid is off the box, the cat's out of the bag Now it's all out on the table and everybody knows The Emperor is naked, he's not wearing any clothes It's all out on the table and everybody knows The Emperor is naked, he's not wearing any clothes listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.